If you are here for the first time, we are really glad you are here. And we are preaching through the book of John right now. And to get us where we're heading here today, um, let me just ask you, especially gentlemen in the room, how many of you guys have ever uh, missed the gravity of a certain what seemed like a small action or conversation with your wife or maybe you're dating your significant other and you found out really quick you made a big mistake? Anybody? Yeah, that'd be all of us probably. Yep. (laughs) So a couple weeks ago, we were having a a staff meeting, and my wife, Elizabeth, who's our kids director, um, was in, we don't always do this, but like a Thursday morning, and and, uh, we had this morning meeting, and all I remember is it got done sooner than we had planned, and so that was a good thing, and uh, I look up, and we're like, I look over at my wife, and I'm like, hey, we could go grab a bite to eat. And I could see like her eyes lit up. She likes going for, for burgers. So I'm like, we can go to Freddy's and grab a burger and, uh, you know, get a bite to eat. And she was excited about it. And then we started like talking about logistics and how we're going to get kid from here to here and, and school and all these different things that were going on right now. And I'm like, ah, whatever. I'll just run home and grab a sandwich. And in that moment, I got the look. <laughs> Any guys know what the look is? Yeah, you've gotten the look. And I knew all of a sudden there was something deeper going on here than just a sandwich or a burger, um, that there was a connection point that I was missing. And I was on surface level, right? Like, I was thinking, I'm just hungry. I want to get a bite to eat. This would be fun. She was on, it's the middle of the week, and we're going to have a mini date and actually have a moment to connect in the busy, crazy week. And so it was actually a big deal, and I about missed it because my guy brain was just on surface level, like, Feed my belly, right? You know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I think a lot of us do a similar thing in our relationship with God. And in these chapters, in John chapter 14 through 17, what we see over and over again, if you're paying attention, is that there is a depth of relationship available to us with God that I think too many people miss out on. I think few fully access. I think too many times we're, we're happy just staying on a surface level when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to growing in our relationship with God. In fact, uh, I think many of us actually kind of want to experience sort of the periphery or the benefit, the promises of a relationship with God while we stay at surface level. And so I think for a lot of people, it's actually like sometimes even things that appear religious or good, you know, church attendance or, or maybe like disciplined giving or disciplined, um, even like Bible reading, some of those things. You're in 18 Bible studies, things that are actually good, all, all really good things. Sometimes we can use those things as a checklist and check off the box and actually never really go deeper in our relationship. Like the fact that, that my wife and I were sitting in a, in a staff meeting next to each We were just sitting there next to each other. We'd connected, right? No. <laughs> and, and you can sit right next to someone. You can be in proximity to the things of God and never really experience all he has for you. And I think you see that in this, in this chapter that we're in. Why is it that we're content at a service level? I think there's a lot of different Um, reasons for that. Partly, our human nature is we're self-focused. Did you notice no one ever had to teach you how to be selfish? 
when you were little? Nobody, your mom never said, hey, I want you to steal Johnny's sucker uh, because it's all about you, really, right? That just came natural. Mine. Anybody remember if you have kids? Like one of the first words they use, they learn, isn't it? Mine. So so part of it is we're we're just naturally self-focused. Part of it, I think, is we're just so distracted. Like every one of us has one of this, and hopefully you have some of your notifications off, right? Or most of them. Otherwise, it dings, buzzes, interrupts you all the time, and it's so easy to be completely distracted, both in our relationship with others. We know that's a big issue. We did a couple weeks on that in relation to families back in May, but also with our relationship with God. It's very easy to stay surface level because we're just so distracted with everything in life. And then I think for some, it's, it's hurt. Maybe it was church hurt in the past, or maybe it's just in a season. It just feels like one blow after another, and there's just constant. You just don't feel like you can, you can get your feet under you, and, and disappointment maybe in God starts setting in. I know for many, it's just that pain of life where it just feels like I, I just can't catch up. I can't like keep up with it. I can't, uh, I can't get through. I don't know how. I was up at a retreat last week with a bunch of pastors over in Estes Park, and it was just interesting hearing people share and uh, the national director sharing and just this relationships and how hard like the last couple of years have been on so many in, in the church all over the country, really the world, right? I mean, we've been through a lot. It's been a crazy season. I remember for me feeling like like all the stress and tension of 2020, and then I ended up like breaking my ankle really bad on top of it. And it just felt for a while like this like blow after blow, and you can't just get your feet under you, right? Literally. <laughs> and some of you are in a place like that right now, where it feels like your relationship with God is just dry. You feel maybe alone. You used to hear his voice. And, and it's been a long time since you paused to listen, or you feel like you can't hear him right now. Um, for some of you, you feel like you have no purpose. For some, like we talked about last week, you feel like you're living sort of as a shell of the person you once were when it came to being a follower of Jesus. I think for many, it's just this constant anxiety inside and a lack of peace, that your heart isn't at rest, that it, there's just a constant, like, underlying anxiety. You don't have peace in your life. And the words of Jesus in these chapters in John 14 to 17, uh, we see an incredible invitation to us to access a depth of relationship that, that will actually bring peace to our hearts and, and will bring the things we need to live a life connected to him and fulfill the mission he's given us on earth. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you start turning on over to John chapter 14. And we're going to pick up, we're actually going to read a couple of verses we, uh, we went over last week. But we're going to pick up in verse 15 here in just a minute. And just to, to refresh your memory, if you missed last week, um, last week we saw Jesus begins to comfort his disciples. He's just told them, I'm going away, where I'm going, you can't come. They're devastated. Uh, they've given everything to follow Jesus for the last three years. And in this moment, they're devastated. Lord, what does this mean? We don't get it. We don't understand. How is it going to be okay? And so uh, last week, we saw an incredible promise that Jesus promises to come and be with them. In fact, he promises to come 
go prepare a place and take them to be where he is. It's one of the, one of the foundational promises of the Christian life, eternity with him, that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, will spend eternity with him in a, in a, in a place beyond anything we can imagine. That is, a, that is a foundational principle of our faith. And then he goes on to make just an incredible claim. And, and like, like we said last week, if some of you, you struggle with the claims of quote-unquote Christianity, but actually the thing you're struggling with, and you need to realize this and, and struggle through this, is what Jesus actually said about himself. Because Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Period. No one comes to God the Father except through me. I am the way, not a way. I am the way. I'm just not pointing in the way. I am the way. And you got to wrestle with the claims Jesus makes about himself. He goes on. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That I have come, and the way John explains that to us in the very first chapter of the book is called the incarnation, God in the flesh, God in a bod. That he comes, he puts on flesh in God's Son, in Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he comes to this earth, God in a body. And, and Jesus says, I have shown you the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to get to know the heart of God, you look at Jesus. That's the point of it, right? And then Jesus makes an incredible promise about our prayers. That if we pray as a follower of his, if you pray a prayer in his name, which is a big concept, more than just a tagline, but it means according to his purposes, according to his will, according to his heart and desire, his character, that he's going to answer that prayer. Powerful. And then he makes an incredible promise, too that those who trust in me will do the things I do. And even greater things are going to be accomplished because he is going to the Father. And for us, that's hard to understand. We're sitting here, though, on this side of the resurrection. Think about how hard that would have been for them to get on that side of the resurrection. Like, how is this? how can this be Jesus? And then in chapter 14, in verse 15, he goes on to tell us how that can be. He says this, If you love me, keep my commands. Now, that's going to be a really important. So we're going to come back to that. If you love me, keep my commands. And what I'm going to do today, I'm going to read through this pretty quickly and maybe get distracted on a bunny trail or two. Um, but then we'll pull it back around because I want to get through this whole chunk. And then I want to come back in and just zoom in on three different things. And so he says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the father. Here you go. Here's how this is all going to be accomplished when it comes to prayer, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the things I'm power for, the things I'm calling you to do in this world. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you a, another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. We recognize that. In fact, a little bit later, we find out that's the Holy Spirit, an advocate. The Greek word is parakletos, the paraclete. And we'll explain that. We'll go over that a little more in just a second. He says the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. He, he's here, but he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That beautiful Jesus promises to come to his people 
that even though he's going away, he won't leave them as orphans in this world. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me very soon. Three days after they lay him in a tomb, he walks out of that tomb. It's a beautiful scene. When, they, when, their, joy, when their grief is turned to joy, he says, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's the hope we have. Jesus raised and he promises we will as well. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. There's a unity here. There's a, a depth and a closeness of relationship. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. I will reveal myself in a powerful way to those who love me. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Now just think about how would you like to have the name Judas in the first century? Uh, like John's writing this probably, I don't know, 40 or so years after Jesus' resurrection. And, um, and even then, like that much later, he's like, Judas, not that Judas. Got to clarify. After that point, it was like, like nobody, at least the followed Jesus, started naming their kids Judas. I don't think any of you did. Did you? Didn't think so. Okay. So anyway, um, so he has to clarify. So Judas uh, says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Like, I don't get it. What's going on here? Why don't you just show your power to everybody? And Jesus says this, anyone who loves me. Now get this because he repeats it. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He says, the very words I speak come directly from God, is what Jesus is saying. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, just pause for a second because... Um, I want to just point something out really quick. Is it okay if I take a little nerd trail, like history? Okay, I'm going to do it. You guys can glaze over. Just stick with me. It'll, it'll be quick. Um, so this, is, this chapter, one of the biggest controversies in church history actually comes right from this chapter and this verse. Um, in 1054 AD, there was this huge argument that broke out between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman uh, led church about, well, wh where does the Holy Spirit come from? Because this says from the Father. But then two chapters later, Jesus is like, I will send the Holy Spirit. Or is this Holy Spirit the Spirit of the Father and, and the Son? And this became a huge argument. And finally, the Pope at the time says, I'll settle it. And he goes in and he edits the Nicene Creed that had been around for hundreds of years. And it made the Eastern Orthodox Church so mad they split off. And we still see <laughs> a huge portion of the Eastern Orthodox is completely different today, right? Uh, split the empire in two. Constantinople, you heard of that? Uh, yeah. So anyway, so that's a little bit of history. And the thing about it is interesting because this controversy, um, have you, has anybody ever ridden the train from Grand Junction to Denver? Yeah. You got on the train. You could... 
if you ride the train from Grand Junction to Denver, um, beautiful in the fall, you know, uh, and you take that trip, you can either get on in Junction or you can get on in Glenwood, can't you? And when you get off in Denver, would you be accurate to say this train was from Grand Junction? Yes. Uh, would you also be accurate to say this train is from Glenwood? Yes. And see, sometimes the answer to the, to the controversy, which one is it, this or this, is yes. And how does that all work out? I don't know. I'm finite. God's infinite. See, I could have really helped them out back there in 1054. Um, good thing the church isn't splitting over anything these days, right? So, All right. We'll move on. See, I think a lot of times, because the, the concept of the Trinity, the three in one, which we really see in this chapter of John, I and the Father are one. That Jesus, the creator of all things, the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, unique and yet one. Three unique persons in one. And we can't wrap our minds around that. And why do we expect that we could? I mean, literally, it's, it's, we're talking about the creator of the universe. A God so infinite, we can't even comprehend. But I think sometimes we emphasize, because of our limitedness, we emphasize, we can't put the three in one together. I mean, we have like some crazy like tools, like an egg. It's kind of like an egg, right? Or like H2O or something. You know, like we have all these like analogies, three in one, that sort of help us wrap our minds around it. But we can't in our finite humanness. And so I think sometimes we actually overemphasize the individuality and, and not the oneness because we have a hard time. See, the Shema, Deuteronomy, what do they pray? The Jewish people every day. Behold, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. So he is three in one, but he's still one, okay? So anyway, I'm getting way sidetracked. Uh, let me see if I can get back to it here. Um, he goes on. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. There's going to be something special about my peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now, again, let me pause because this is a quick, one more important little detail before we finish reading this. Uh, the Father, so he says, the Father is greater than I. Cults around the world have twisted, taken this verse and twisted it out of the context of the whole book of John, where we've seen over and over again who Jesus explicitly says, he and the Father are one, where he makes, where they pick up stones to throw at him because um, he made a, he claimed to be God, over and over again, right? And so they take this this verse, and they twist it and say, see, Jesus wasn't saying actually that he was God. Not true. What is Jesus saying here in this verse? Well, you, you have to remember the way Paul put it is that Jesus took on the constraints of humanity, that God, the, the one who created, who spoke the universe into being, took on the constraints of humanity. And the way that Paul describes that is he emptied himself. Doesn't mean he was any less God, but he, uh, of his position of authority and splendor at the right hand of God, he came down and became a normal human being and was born and grew and struggled and had to learn how to talk 
It's hard to, for us to wrap our mind around that. But in this verse, Jesus says, actually, if you love me, you'd be happy. I mean, if you knew what I get to go back to, you'd be like thrilled for me. They didn't, couldn't wrap their minds around it. He's like, in fact, just a couple chapters later, he's going to say, Father, he's going to say, uh, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Like, I can't wait to get back to your side to experience once again what it was like without the constraints. So that's pretty profound, isn't it? So anyway, don't let people twist that in your mind. And then I'm going to finish this up. It says, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me or literally in the Greek, he's got nothing on me. He's got no hooks in me. I I have lived a, a perfect sinless life. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. See, here's a submission to the Father's will that comes out of a love. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Then he says, come, as they prepare to leave the upper room. Come, let us leave. So I want to pick up here just for a second, and I want to zoom in on three different things that I think are so powerful, because as you read that, and it's a lot, we could spend a whole series on just this chapter, but I kind of feel like a couple of years in the book of John's probably enough, right? It's going to take us that long almost by the time we get through it. So you could spend a lot of time just digging into some of these powerful, profound truths, and a lot more of them we're going to pick up as we get into chapters 15 and beyond. But let me, let me just zoom in on three different things when it comes to, I think, what is um, critical if you want to go beyond a surface relationship in your relationship with God. And the first one is you have to understand is that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us and in us. John 14, 15, I'm going to put that back up there because he says, I'm going I'm to send the advocate. I'll ask my father. He will give you another advocate, the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit. He, he will be with you or he lives with you and he will be in you. He's with you now, but there will be a transition when he actually indwells you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, one of the ways that he comes to us is through his spirit. When he promises to come, he's, he, there's three different promises we see in this chapter. And the first one is, I will come to you in the resurrection, meaning death cannot separate us. Your death will not separate you from Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And his death would not separate them because what? Three days later, he was going to walk out of that grave. Victory and power over the grave. He promises them, I'll come to you in the resurrection. And it's this beautiful scene on the day of the resurrection as he does. And then second, um, he promises his ultimate return. We see that at the beginning of the chapter, that we will spend eternity with him, that he will return for us. We will spend eternity with him. And then we see this through the power of the Holy Spirit. That in, in between his first coming, his resurrection, and ultimately his second coming, he would still be with us, not just metaphorically, but with us, literally. He's with you. 
And he's with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll come to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus promised, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to be with you just in a different way. And actually what blows our mind is, is he's going to say just a couple chapters down, it's actually better for you that I go away. And we're like, what, Jesus? I kind of like you right here. I'd like to be able to see you, to, to be by your side. And I'm sure if we feel that, think of how his disciples felt that, who had been with him for three years. They're like, how, how can that be that it's better? And Jesus says, it's going to be better. I'm going to be with you, and it's even going to be in a better way, a more helpful way for you, because I'm the sent one from the Father, and just like I, my Father sent me, now I'm sending you out into this world, to all the corners of the world. And you know that Jesus, God, and Abad could be in one place at one time? And he says, it's going to be different when my Holy Spirit comes. He's actually going to be with you and dwell in you in a way, not just you, but you and you and you and people around the world we've never met. The Holy Spirit indwelling them, empowering them for the things God's calling them to do on a daily basis. He says, it's going to be better. We're like, okay. It's going to be better because I am with you. I'm with you. You know, in Greek, the word for the spirit here is the parakletos. And it's from a, a root that describes someone called alongside. And maybe you have an old, older translation. Maybe you have King James or one of the other translations, ESV. And it says the helper or the comforter or the counselor or the advocate. And all of these are great English words that none of, none of them actually capture the full, like what, what the Greek's trying to say, which is why we translate them with different words. But the helper, it, it's one, the power to accomplish what you could never accomplish alone. I used to lift weights with this, this dude. And like, you know, we'd stack the plates on and he'd bench press and I'd spot him and he'd pump out and then we'd take all the plates off and I'd bench press. And, and I, you know, you get to those last reps after you just can't do it anymore. And it's like a, just those couple fingers he would put under and help lift that bar, the helper the one to help accomplish what you can't, and times when you have no strength in you, times when you don't know what to say, and he moves and speaks through you. I bet you've had one of those moments if you've been a follower of Jesus. I hope you've had one of those moments where you've been in a conversation or you've been sharing, and all of a sudden, like, you recognize, I don't think I knew all the stuff that just came out of my mouth about Jesus. Like, wow, who was that guy? If not, start sharing Jesus with people. Because that's, that's when he moves like that in your life. When you experience that. It's that helper, the one who could do what you could never do. The power to do the great things Jesus talked about. The helper, the comforter. Have you noticed how just the presence of someone, there might be a loss, maybe you've had a loss, and so hard, and then a family member, just the presence of someone you love by your side didn't change the situation, but what did it do? It brought you strength. It brought you comfort. All of a sudden, it's like, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. That's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't promise he's going to change every circumstance in our life to make it good. Jesus promises otherwise. A couple chapters down. You don't want to miss that Sunday. Thank you. 
So Jesus, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to be the, I'm the comforter. I'm the, I'm the advocate. And the idea here is somebody arguing for you in a law room. Somebody presenting your plight, your case before the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And he's called another advocate because we see also that Jesus does that. That Jesus presents our case before the Father. That Jesus says, that one's mine. His, his sin is covered. Her sin is covered by my blood. Look at that song we sing. It's covered. It's paid for. That one's mine. I know. He keeps messing up, but he's mine. The you know, Holy Spirit, another advocate who brings our needs before the Father. And then he brings this idea of um, adoption in the family of God. It's this idea of warmth in relationship. Paul says, it's, it's because you are his sons and daughters. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And Jesus says, I'm going to come be with you and indwell you through the power of my spirit. And it's going to be the thing that allows you to relate to God in the warmth of family relationship. Abba, literally, Daddy, Father that you have access to that kind of relationship and not, not any old father. We, a lot of us had great fathers. A lot of you, some of you didn't. The perfect, loving, heavenly father. And it's the spirit of Christ that gives you the ability to go, Dad, and relate to this father. You have Adoption. Uh, one scholar says this, and I think it's pretty powerful. He says, as a result of this promised spirit, the spirit of Jesus himself, Christians now, remarkable though it may seem, are in a better situation even than the followers of Jesus during his lifetime. Wrap your mind around that, because that's truth. But here's the thing. I think so many of us don't access that, do we? We choose to stay surface. We choose to keep him at an arm's length. But all of a sudden, as you read this, Jesus' statement, like greater things than these, which in, in the Greek can also mean like more, more abundant. You understand how this could happen? I skimmed through the first 10 chapters of Acts and watched as the Holy Spirit empowered, um, came on the disciples and on the others and empowered them. And they went out and man, like in Peter's very first sermon, remember the guy who seven weeks earlier denied he even knew Jesus' name? He gets up and he says, you know, you, he died or you crucified him. Like he was this Messiah and you crucified him. Repent. Like he stares these guys down. 2,000 people respond to that message that was inspired by the Holy Spirit on one day. Like that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And that's the Holy Spirit. And you go on and read it and the amazing things that happened in that period of time shortly flowing out of that. And, and still today, I hear so many amazing stories of the things God's doing all around the world. Sometimes we get stuck in our little home bubble where it feels like, you know, the culture is walking away from God and many are. But sometimes we don't realize the rate at which the kingdom of God is growing around this world and the amazing, powerful things God is doing around this world. And there's so, so many. Greater things. You, you kind of understand it when you understand who the Holy Spirit is and the promise of Jesus. That he gives us everything we need in this life to draw close in relationship and be empowered for what he's calling us to do. It, it comes from the Holy Spirit. But you have to walk with him. You have to, it, literally the language used is stay in step with him because so many times we're just like, I'm going this way. 
And we turn around, and he's going that way. So like, are you going to catch up? Are you going to come back and go where we're going? We get out of step so easy. Paul says you need to be being filled by him. And there's this really interesting um, scripture. coming. Up. It's coming up in John 20. And I don't think we're going to have much time to talk about it when we get there. But as I've studied this, I've struggled through this. Like, how does this all work between John and Acts and Pentecost and all this when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus is in the upper room right after he promises, I'll come to you. And he actually, it says he breathes on him. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's this powerful, interesting scripture. And it's one that scholars argue about all the time. And can I just say, like, it's okay to not know everything. As your pastor, I don't know everything, and there's still things I'm struggling through and trying to learn. In fact, we have a saying around here, we're lifelong learners. What that means is we don't think we've got it all figured out. And hopefully, over the course of your relationship with God, you're going to change a few viewpoints and positions because um, otherwise you're not learning. (laughs) But there's this little scripture, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And as I've, like, wrestled through, the picture I get in my mind is, like, um, do you know, uh, anybody have a boiler? Furnace? Yeah. You all have one. You probably used it this week, right? I remember that. It's been off. You know, the boiler or the furnace has a little pilot light. Usually you have to light that. I don't know. Some of them don't now. But old school they did. A pilot light, and it's always on. You light it, it's always on. It's just always on. It's flickering there. It's ready. It's standing at the ready. And then what happens? Fall comes last week, right? You're like, oh, it's getting a little chilly in here. For the first time, um, you, you take that dial and you turn it up a little bit. And then it's like the wind rushes into that furnace. It's actually the gas, right? And you hear this, whoomph. And it's like the whole thing is now fire. And it brings warmth and it brings heat to the whole house, and it provides what's necessary now in warming the house, right? Because it's freezing cold, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. But for so many, I think they live their life like the thermostat's down, and like, I'm cold, and it's like, well, you, you need to, like, let, let it come back. Let the, the wind blow on your heart. It's kind of like the classic argument between husband and wife. Like, uh, turn up the thermostat. No, no, no. Leave it down. It's too hot in here. Too cold, right? And if you're the guy or the gal that's always like, turn that thermostat, keep that thing down. And you're surprised. Your heart's dry. It's cold. Every time he wants to do something in your life, you're like, no, not now. Too busy. I have too much going on. I'm too distracted. That feels a little awkward. feels vulnerable to actually like pray and like lift my hands to you or ask you for something or come forward and get prayer if he feels vulnerable. I don't really do that. It's like a pilot light. Too many Christians are content just going with the pilot light. And I think the thing that Paul says, be being filled, it's not a one-time thing. It's the idea is it's continually. That you you get alone with them, that you say, Lord, fill me up again because I'm empty right now. Because I leak. (laughs) That's how John Wimbrough used to say it, the founder of the uh, network of churches. He'd, he'd say, why do we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we leak. But this is the idea. We get out of step pretty easily. We come back into step. That's the direction you're going. Fill me up. Control my life. I want to submit my life again to you. Give me the power to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. 
See, the point of the greater things, I don't think, is, is like to make you feel bad that you're a Christian and you've never like walked on water. Anybody out there? No, I didn't think so. Um, you've never fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Anybody? If so, man, we're getting you on the fundraising committee. So, <laughs> It's not like God couldn't use you to do that. See, the point is, he wants to accomplish something through you. Are you listening to his spirit? Are you saying yes in the thing he's calling you to? That if he did call you to walk on the water, metaphorically, perhaps literally, but probably metaphorically, into something uncomfortable, into something awkward, are you willing to step into that? Are you willing to pray for the other person? Are you willing to be vulnerable yourself and get prayer? Are you willing to say, God, I need you. I need you. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. Now, two other little verses that I want to highlight. I promise this will be quick. But it's so important. I don't want you to miss it. The second thing is this, that true depth in relationship flows from love. True depth in relationship flows from love. Jesus repeats this over and over. We're going to see this in the coming chapter as well. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And what's the result of that? My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. And there's a submission in our life to the will of our Savior that flows from love. And that is so vital that you get that. Because too many people, in a surface-level relationship with Jesus, too many people think, if I can just check off boxes and do the right spiritual things I'll go deep in my relationship with God. I'll, I'll follow God better. And those things are wonderful, whether it's, you know, disciplined giving, reading, digging into scriptures, all those things. Church, being here in the body of fellowship, important, vital. But you can do those and be in proximity to God and your heart still not be alive with love for him. Refreshed and renewed. Um, Jesus comes to this church in Revelation, and he says, you're doing a lot of amazing stuff, but one thing I have on you, you've lost your first love. So go back and do the things you did. Remember when you used to seek me, pursue me, passionately, like serve in my name. Somehow you've got out of whack, and you're just doing a religious thing. And see, you can grit your teeth and try to be a better follower of Jesus, or you can fall at his feet and Say, I love you in a grateful response for what he did. Because the father, the relationship with the father wasn't because of what you did. It was because he loved you first. And your grateful love then produces a response of obedience and submission to the will of the father. And when you're in that, there's intimacy and depth in relationship, just like he says here. And they do flow together. It's not just go do anything you want. No, no. It's, I love you, Jesus, because of what you did for me, and now I want to serve you. I want to live in a way that pleases you. It's the cry of my heart. And so the key, the key towards discovering that and living into that is when you find yourself struggling, you go back to the root, just like David did. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, he says in the Psalms. Lord, rekindle love like I've got a pilot light, but I need you to turn the thermostat up and rekindle that in my heart. 
And the third one is this. That peace is found in depth of relationship. I'm going to invite our keyboard player Samuel up uh, for a minute to, to play as we close here. Peace is found in depth of relationship. He says, hey, the, the advocate, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to remind you of all truth. And you know one of the truths he reminded us of as he inspired the, the apostles to, to record the life of Jesus and, and these letters that, that are holy scriptures as he breathed those out was that I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That I am with you. And he re- reminds us of that. And as you're in scripture, he brings things to light that light your heart up again when you're, when you're going deeper, when you're pursuing him. It's his spirit moving and blowing in our life. And what is the result of that? Peace. Peace. He gives you a supernatural peace that isn't, not like the world gives. Oh, yeah, it's easy to be at peace when everything's going good. But we're in a crazy world. Have you watched the news lately? (laughs) And it's so easy. So many are struggling. It's so easy to not have that peace. Where's the peace found? It's found in relationship. When you don't stay surface level, but actually you allow him to work in your heart and remind you of his truth and, and speak his love into your, into your ear. It's where peace is found. One of my uh, authors that I read said, I have a peace that bypasses my brain and permeates my heart. You know, last week I was up at this conference, and there were some things we've been really struggling with and praying about, and it was just a heavy burden. And then, like, I prayed with this other pastor, and it was encouraging, but I was still struggling. And then later, like, God gave a couple of people at this conference a word for me that was just, like, spot on. I'm like, well, how'd you know that? God knew. And it encouraged my heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit just blowing, like turning up the thermostat, bringing refreshing, bringing new freshness of life. And it was like a, a burden just lifted. And some of you need that right now. Some of you need that. Peace is found in a relationship with him. Would you stand? Let me just ask you, are you content? Are you content staying surface level in your relationship with God? I hope the answer is no. I hope it's no. And so in this moment, I want to invite you as we we close in prayer. Maybe there's, I'm just going to pause as I begin praying for a minute and let let you talk to God. Maybe there's an area of obedience in your life and there's something in your life you need to confess and ask for forgiveness. If, Like John says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and purify us from all unrighteousness. But then instead of going from that place to going, no, I'm going to do better, grip my teeth. No, say, God, I think there's a root thing here. I need to walk with your Holy Spirit. I need your power. I need your life. I need you to rekindle the flame, turn up the thermostat, blow again in my heart, rekindle that first love I had for you, Jesus. Because it's out of that that life is lived. Maybe it's for you, it's taking this home and blocking out some time and getting in these chapters of Scripture and just going, speak to me, Lord. I want to hear your voice again. 
Whatever that is, you can ask him to do that work in your heart. And for some, that may be. You've never actually told him you believe and trust in him and asked for his forgiveness. And today may be your day. Today may be the day he's calling you into his family. And you can respond to that just in your own words. You ask him for forgiveness. You, you say and you believe in your heart that he died and rose again for your sin. That he paid the penalty like we celebrated in communion earlier. And you receive that love and forgiveness. And then from that, out of gratitude, you say, I want to live my life for you. If that's you, as we close in prayer, that's your first step. Father, I want to say thank you for my friends, Lord. And I'm just, as we pause here, would you just bring to their hearts, Lord, maybe some, it's, it's stirring that fan, that flame, fanning that flame in their heart, Lord, that they've been missing something and they want it so bad. Would you do your work here? Why don't you take a moment, connect with God on whatever, whatever he's laying on your heart right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, would we know your presence in a powerful way, the presence of our Savior with us? Would we live out of the overflow and abundance of that and pour it out into this world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.